Well, let me welcome everyone who's here this morning. Again, we, we have a number of people away on vacation, and that accounts for several people being gone, but we do have a pretty good number of folks here today. And uh, as was said earlier, we have several visitors in the audience, and we're particularly glad you're here. I hope we make you feel welcome. That's our goal. I hope you'll want to come back and be with us at every opportunity you have. Let me also make a, join in with Bill and, and make a quick mention about this afternoon. We love to have you. It's right next door in, in our backyard. We're going to uh, gather around out there, and um, we'll have some food. We'll have some, plenty of uh, cold things to drink. By the way, does anybody notice it's hot? Just, just wondering. But uh, hopefully it won't be too bad, and we're going to have plenty uh, cold to drink and, and stay hydrated and so forth. But we'd love to have you over, and we're going to sing some songs. And uh, when we've done this, we've done it for several years now, and everybody tends to have a really good time. And uh, so love for you to come over. Without any further delay, I want to get into the lesson. And indeed, this morning we're going to continue to talk about being holy in my strength. I want to look at a question that God asked, in particular about a Bible character, and I will get to that, but I'm going to make it more general than just uh, particular to this character. That question is, of course, have you considered my servant? The reason I put three dots there is because I think that can be any of a number of people, but God asking the question, have you considered my servant? Let's talk a little bit about that. One of the observations that I want to make is that even, I hope you can read that, should be able to, even the strong, we're talking about being holy in my strength, even the strong are weak. That may not be something that immediately you think about, and yet I would suppose, I would guess, that that is something that everyone understands is indeed the truth. Let me make this observation. We tend to categorize people as strong or weak, especially when we're referring to some brother or sister. We may say of them, that's a strong person. We may say of, that, of another one, that person's really weak. So we tend to categorize people as strong or weak. But I think it is a disservice to both Scripture and really to ourselves to overly generalize. Now, I acknowledge the fact that Scripture speaks of spiritual strength, and it speaks of spiritual weakness. And for that matter, it speaks of the strong and the weak. But when it does, in particular, it speaks of spiritual strength and weakness in regards to knowledge of the Word of God. For example, one is strong with reference to some particular point of faith if they understand it. If we were to turn to the book of Romans, and you may want to turn over there quickly, let me just cite a couple of passages to illustrate. In a section in Romans 14 and 15 in particular, Paul is talking about the understanding of certain doctrines. And Paul will say, for example, in Romans chapter 14 and verse 1, him that is, notice, weak in the faith. And so, with respect to certain doctrines, with certain, respect to certain knowledge, a person is weak. On the other hand, as he brings this discussion to a conclusion, if you'll notice in chapter 15, we then that are strong. And the idea would be that have knowledge of certain facts, that know certain things from Scripture. So we then that are strong ought to bear. Now notice on the other hand, the infirmities of the weak. 
Paul also in this book will talk about in Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. The idea of being, of Abraham being strong in the faith. And maybe more there, he's talking about not just knowledge of the Word of God, but the application of it. Both the ability to apply it, because you know it or you have it, the ability to apply it, but also the success or failure of doing so. We might look, for example, again at Romans 15 and verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Either they don't have the ability or they're not applying what they know. Either one. Or we might look at passages like 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 29 when Paul asks the question, Who is weak and am I not weak? Who stumbles and don't I burn? And so the idea in these passages, all of them together, would be this. We could overly generalize and say, so-and-so is strong, so-and-so is weak. Or we can look at it more like the Bible looks at it and understand that the Bible is saying we are strong at times with respect to certain things. I may know things, and I may know them as well as anybody in the world virtually knows something. I'd venture to say I could throw out certain doctrines about the Lord's Supper or whatever it might be. And you, in this audience, generally have an understanding of that. Not everybody in the world does. You are strong in that area. But on the other hand, there are things you don't know, perhaps. Each individual one of us, we might lack in understanding. We would be weak in that area. And I think you get the point. Strong and weak with respect to what we know what we have the ability to do, and whether or not we fail at doing what we have the ability to do based on what we know. So it's a disservice to overly generalize. The truth is, in very simple terms, the strong are weak at times. They have their weaknesses. The weak, quote-unquote, are strong at times, and they have their strengths. You know... It really doesn't matter what age you're talking about, who you're talking about. If we were to set the oldest, in some senses, most feeblest individual in the room, if we were to set that person in our midst, we would acknowledge their weakness. But we would also see great strength. If we were to take the youngest child, we might immediately acknowledge their weakness. But we would also have to discuss their strength. Even Jesus would say, be like a little child. So, the stronger weak at times, the weaker strong at times. Now, having said that, let's go a little further. We understand, and I want to introduce an idea this morning, although I'm not going to spend a lot of time at it. We understand that God looks at us, and God is doing something for us. I am going to read these two passages. They are passages I will come back to through the quarter. But look with me at 1 Peter 1. As God addresses Christians in general. As Peter writes to these individuals throughout this part of Turkey, he says, Blessed be, this is verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, notice, incorruptible. God has given birth to us. If we're Christians, He's done that. And if you'll notice, the purpose for our lives as a Christian is to go to heaven. That's what God means for you to do. He means for me to do. 
God wants me in heaven, and he has blessed me so that I will be in heaven. Now notice as he goes on. Verse 5, we are kept. And here's the idea of guarded. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Notice, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, you greatly rejoice in that, Peter says to these Christians. And you should. I'm going to heaven. I know what the end of my life is about. I know that when I pass from this life, I'm going to a much better life. Rejoice in that. But notice as he says here, you greatly rejoice in something else. You greatly rejoice, though now, for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness. Notice, as you suffer through manifold, many varied temptations or trials, that the trial of your faith, verse 7, being much more precious than of gold that, that perishes, though it be tried or tested with fire, might be found. And I think the idea is here, you might be found, your faith might be found, unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So what are you saying, Peter? You're saying God means for me to be in heaven, yes. But you're saying that not, is it that I... Simply rejoice in that fact and disregard everything else. No, I look at my own faith. And would I say of myself that it is weak at times? Would I be humble enough to admit that? Would I be humble enough to say I don't know everything? I don't have the ability to do everything I need to be doing. I don't always apply that perfectly. Would I be humble enough to admit that? Yes, I admit that then what is God doing to help me? I don't want to hear this. <laughs> you know, What is God doing to help me? God is allowing you to go through various manifold, if you will, temptations, trials, tests in your life. Why, God? Why do I have to go through this? Why does it seem like you're, quote-unquote, always beating up on me? Why does it seem like I'm suffering so much? And God would be saying to me, because you need help, and I'm helping you. Not necessarily the way that I wanted to be helped, you know, but I'm helping you. It's kind of like being a kid, and you're hungry, and you know you're hungry, and you want something to eat, and what you'd really, really, really like to have is a couple of candy bars. And mom lays liver and spinach in front of you. Not what I really wanted, but it's what you need. You see, God is looking at me in my weakness. I want you to turn to a passage I will emphasize several times this quarter. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, and we'll talk more about Paul in just a moment. Paul's a good guy. Paul, we might even be willing to say, was a great guy. And if I were to say to you, was Paul a strong Christian? I would venture to say most people in here would say, yeah, Paul is a strong Christian. I wish I were like Paul. I'd love to be more like Paul, you know. But Paul has just told you in chapter 11 and verse 29, he, together with everybody else, is weak. In fact, Paul makes the point in chapter 12, and we would look at Paul and we would say, anyone that God would choose to write more books in the Bible than anyone else has got to be pretty strong. He was. But Paul's strengths could turn into weakness. 
And so Paul makes a point here, and if you'll begin reading with me in verse 7, and we will come back and talk more about Paul at a later date, but look at verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations that were given to me, and I think he's making reference here to the writing of the books and the inspiration in general he had, etc. But lest I be exalted above measure, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was. But I tell you what we do know about it. It was a messenger of Satan. I want you to notice that phrase. A messenger of Satan. Now wait a minute. God wants to help Paul here. And Paul needs the help. Lest he be exalted above measure. But what God allows is a messenger of Satan to come into his life. That doesn't seem right. Oh, but it is. There was sent to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me. You know what that literally means? To beat up on me. If you ever find yourself saying as a Christian, as an individual, it just seems like I'm being beaten on every day. That's a good thing. Paul said this messenger was sent to beat up on me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing... I begged. Now, I don't know if there's anybody in this room that's ever been beat up on and begged God that it go away. I have. And I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, have as well. I begged. I begged God three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, verse 9, the part that is normally quoted in this passage by most people, My grace is sufficient for thee. And it is. To be favored by God is sufficient, but what do you mean, Paul? My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength, God is saying, my strength is made perfect. Exactly what it needs to be in you, my strength is made perfect in weakness. That doesn't seem right. But if you think about it, it is right. When I was... 18 years old, and I was working in between high school and college and trying to, you know, get jobs and they weren't around. I took every odd job, dirty job there was to take. The gossips are here this morning. Wes's parents are here. Wes is here, of course. And they all know about, I'm sure, Wolverine in Decatur. It's a plant there. It does copper tubing and all of this kind of thing. Long story short. My job was to take a piece of copper tubing and shove it into a machine and literally be jerked all over the place while it ground this copper to a point. After doing that about an hour, I noticed that the gloves I had, I'd worn all the way through the gloves. Another half hour to an hour, I not only wore through the gloves, I wore through my skin. They were blistered, worse than I'd ever had them be blistered, right in the center of both hands. They hurt. I wrapped them and put gloves on and I'd go through everything I put on. And by the time I got back the second night, I could hardly move my hands. They were hurting. They were sore. The blisters had popped open, etc., etc. I wrapped them and I did the job. But you know what I found after doing that job for a while? Where there had been tender skin that blistered and got raw and hurt, there were calluses. I got to the point where I could grab a piece of copper tubing, no gloves, 
shove it in that machine, hold it as tight as I could hold it, grind it to a point, take it off, lay it aside, and nothing. My strength was made perfect in weakness. That's what God is saying. You want to be strong, you got to go through some things. So I will therefore most gladly, Paul says, glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. And here's the phrase, for when I am weak. When I am weak, then am I strong. And only then. There's a process that God gives us. He sees us as we are. He sees us as weak. He sees us as strong. And that He does is axiomatic. That's just a truth we accept. God sees me exactly as I am. And He knows every strength, every weakness exactly as it is. Many times, most times, all the time. Better than I even know myself. Yet, God deals with me in my weaknesses. I pray for it. I beg for help. Paul begged for help here. I beg for God many times. Just take it away. And God says, no, what you need. You need to be here. And you need to be going through this. And so you should look at it because you should see it as me, God, drawing strength out of you. Where there was not strength before. I never used that part of my hands before. Oh, I thought my knuckles were tough and strong. And the palm of my hand was tough and strong. And I could hit things with it. But that part of my hand was tender and soft. I never used it before. And God drew a strength out of that. Because God long ago made me and He made you to blister and to hurt. And for calluses to form when that happened. God draws strength out of you. Where it did not exist before, He refines you. And that's what Peter is talking about. Gold being refined by fire so that it's pure and it's perfect. He refines us so that we may shine in a greater strength than we ever had before. In our weaknesses, God draws strength from within us. So God would say, have you considered my servant, Satan? This is my servant. This is the one who chooses to serve me. He's not perfect. And I see him just as he is. I see him as weak where he is weak. And I see him as strong where he is strong. But in his weaknesses, I will draw for him, from him a great strength. Have you considered my servant? What if we talked about David? Or Peter, like we're talking about on Sunday night. Or the Apostle Paul. Or Job. And we would look at these, and most people might, many people know these these characters. Even those that are not religious people have heard of Paul, Peter, David, Job. And you look at these individuals, and would you say they're strong or they're weak? I want to suggest to you that if these individuals, if they were perfect people, I read a lot of different religious texts that are written, some ancient, some modern, you know, stories that are given, etc., about great heroes of faith and so forth. If these people were like that, Superman, you know, I mean, I'm not Spider-Man. I can't fly all over the buildings, you know. I'm not Batman. I'm not Superman. I'm not 
somebody like that. I'm, I'm a human being. I'm strong in some things. Sometimes exceptionally. Sometimes to the point that I amaze myself, but I can be just as weak. Sometimes to the point that I amaze myself at how weak I can be. And so were they. When I look at Paul or Peter or David or Job, I don't see perfect people. I know a lot of people do. Each one of these people in their own right was a great example of faith and and strong. And we would acknowledge that they had great strength, but each one of them had glaring weaknesses. And Scripture portrays that. And I say, yes, each one of them. How did God see them? When God looked at these four or many more, how did He see them? I want to suggest to you that God saw them accurately. Just like you should. They were strong. They had their weaknesses. With God's help, they overcame their weaknesses, though, and they serve as examples of strength that they remain to this day to be. Let's single one of them out for just a moment. Job. Now, I obviously don't have time this morning in the next couple of minutes to talk about the whole book of Job and everything in it. But I'm sure you know the story. Think about the story of Job. You know, a lot of people relegate the story of Job as just a myth. And they see Job as one of those supermen. Super, super people. And he was a super person. But he was not superman. It's not a myth. No, it's, it's a real individual. A righteous man, yes. A man who's suffering. A man who is being refined by God to an even greater position of strength. Let's give a description of Job as the Bible does. Let's notice, if you want to turn to Job chapter 1, I would encourage you to, to look at this. He was a strong man. He was a good man. He was a righteous man. In fact, in verse 3 of chapter 1, he was the greatest man of the East. This is a great individual. And things that are said about him are things like he is perfect, which means he's complete, he's whole, he's undefiled, he's genuine, or he's upright. He's someone who is just and straight and proper. Or the fact that he feared God, a reverent person, an obedient person, or that he eschewed evil, as the King James says, which means he turned away from it. It presented itself in his life. He said, no, I won't do those things. He was an individual who was a servant. Have you considered my servant? And the word there is the word from which we would get bondservant or slave. What God is saying is he serves me totally as though I own him. And finally, as we know of Job, and especially when his wife... But God also said he was a man of integrity. What does integrity mean? It means someone who's honest, but more than that. It means someone who is true to code. If we say about some inanimate object, metal for example, that it has integrity, we mean that it's up to code, it's up to standard. We mean that it's as strong as it's supposed to be, and that's what Job was. When Satan came to Job and inflicted Job, Job retained his integrity. He remained, and I want you to catch this, as strong as he was supposed to be. But let's go further. Satan challenged him and impugned him, as he does with all of us, and these passages would show that. He accused Job. Oh, the only reason Job serves you, God. Yes, he's the best. I'll give you that, God. 
have you considered my servant Job? Sure, he's the best. I give you that. But he doesn't do it for nothing. You buy him off. You pay him. You give him certain things. So no wonder. It would be kind of like somebody coming along. If you were to say, and, and I wouldn't encourage you to do this, but if you were to run out there and say, you know, Michael Weiss is a pretty good guy. Wes Gossett, you know, he's a good guy. Then somebody else might impugn us by saying, well, why shouldn't they be? They get paid to be good. You know? You pay him, God. You pay him off. Job was exemplary. But I might back up and say, can this be said of me? Is that who I am? Do I stand the challenge? If God looks at me or looks at you, forget what other people would say. Would God say, have you considered my servant Michael? He's a pretty good guy. Well, he said that to Satan. But what was true, and God knew it when he said it, and this would be the part of the book that is little known, and it's unfortunate, is that Job had hidden weaknesses. You read that description in chapter 1 where most people stop, and you see Job as absolutely flawless. There's nothing wrong with Job. He's the best you can be. He's far better than I could ever be, someone says. No. He's not. Job had hidden weaknesses. And they were exposed by this trial. And I put some passages down here, but here's the point of all of this. God is able to look inside us. God is able to see beyond what is on the surface. What everybody else sees and everybody else knows. God looks within me, within you, within Job, within Paul, or anyone. And sees what is hidden there. Sees what will be exposed given the right set of circumstances in this person's life. God sees that. God sees where I will fail. God knows us where we excel and where we come short. God knows if I'm put in a certain situation. And I have been in situations where I think I have excelled. I've been as good as you can be. I've been as strong as one can be. But there are other situations, and God knows it. You put Michael in that situation, he's going to struggle. You put Michael in that situation, and Michael's in trouble. God knows that. And he knows what we need. He knows what will bring us to where we need to be. I want to suggest to you, you can read the book of Job, and you can come back and talk to me about this. But I want to suggest to you that Job chapter 1, when Job and all that description fits of Job, Job is not where Job needs to be. And it's an incredible thing because you look at him and you look at that description and you would say, how could you be any better? Well, he could be. And he needed to be. And this situation, this trial, this book of Job and what it describes shows God drawing that out of Job. Have you considered my servant Job. Because you see what God is saying is, Satan, you don't have a clue. But I know Job. I really know Job. Let's go a little bit story further. And I want to mention this just in a couple of minutes because I'm going to make reference back to it a number of times through the quarter. But if we talk about the story of Job, you know that he suffered the loss of everything. His children, his houses, his possessions, etc. His response was exemplary. Satan came back and said, well, if I touch him, if I afflict him personally, give him some 
ailment, physical ailment. Oh, that'd get him. He suffered physical affliction. Horrible physical affliction. His response was exemplary. Oh, he longed for death. And he longed to have never been born. I don't know if you've ever been there, but you can hurt so much you get to that point. His friends came. And they, and I'll use the term because it is like a trial, they cross-examined him relentlessly. They were worse than Perry Mason ever dreamed of being. They cross-examined Job, and their one charge that's repeated throughout the book is, you must have done something. Some sin you committed. That's why this is happening, Job. And he defended himself to a fault. His despondency grew. I mean beyond depression. His despondency grows throughout the book. And I give you those passages. Chapter 9, 17, 19. You can see it easily. He makes this famous observation about, you know, man is short of days and full of trouble and all of that kind of thing. He makes that observation, but he goes further with it. Let me just read in Job 14, and this is the kind of thing I talk about. When you look at Job here, it's not just that man that's born of woman is full of trouble and all of that. But it is verses 5 and 6. Seeing his days are determined by God, he's saying. The number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that cannot, he cannot pass. Turn from him that he may rest till he shall accomplish as a higher his days. You know what he's saying in that? He's saying, he's contemplating his life and he's saying, I'm just a hireling. I'm just somebody that God hired or made or uses that's sent on this earth to work and to accomplish what God wants me to accomplish, to put in my time, to do my job. And at this point, it just seems futile, God. Here I sit in this horrible condition and I've lost everything. What is the point? And that's what he's screaming out. Not at God, mind you. And he does it verse. After verse, after verse. His defense to his friends, they just keep beating on him. You sinned, you sinned, you sinned. No, I didn't. And then he makes the, the mistake of saying, I never did. Wait a minute, dude. He is self-righteous. He looks at himself and in his own eyes, he is just. Wait a minute. His self-righteousness grows to the point he insists on his innocence. He questions, if not argues, that God has gone too far, to extremes with this ordeal. Chapter 10 really bears that out. He defends himself to a fault. And then God comes in the whirlwind. Just cuts it off and rebukes him. And God spends several chapters there just saying, basically saying, who do you think you are? You don't know this and you don't know that and you never understood this and you don't even know you like I know you. And to Job's great credit, if you want to know the greatest thing about 
Job, I would tell you it is this. He shuts up and listens. He hears God. He believes God. He trusts God. And he repents. And when he does, chapter 42 shows us he is stronger than ever before. In every generation, including this one, God has his champions. He has those whom he considers strong, even when they don't. And there may be people sitting in this room that look at themselves and say, I'm not strong. Well, if you are, God knows it, whether you do or not. And it is God's intention to perfect these people, to make them whole, everything they need to be, to draw that strength from their very weaknesses. God wants their trust. God wants their endurance. Last through it. Get through it. Don't give up. And He'll refine them through this process. Are you here this morning? You're not a child of God. You've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you look at something like this and you say, well, I'm not sure that's, the good, that's a good deal. You know, It is a good deal. Because you trust God to know what is best. And as your faith grows and as you come to know that more and more, you will have complete trust in God. And you will know that God is bringing you to where you need to be and one day bringing you home. Confess your belief in Jesus. I know He's the Son of God. Be willing to repent, to change your life. And whatever it takes, you know you want to change. You want to be better, stronger. Be baptized. Wash your sins away. To have the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse you from everything that's ever been against you so that truly you can start fresh, new, clean. Maybe you're here and you've done that. And you look at your life and you say, I've been baptized, but I have not been what I need to be. I want to be that strong person. I, I know somewhere buried inside of me there is a strong person. I want God to help me to be what I need to be. Please come while we stand and sing.